This evening's reading is from Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, page 269 in the Church Bibles, page 269, Ruth 4, 1 to 12. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon, Kilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you, Edmund. <clears throat> Good evening, everybody. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but is it okay if I light the uh, Advent candle? Yeah? Because at the start of this passage, the pre- prequel from last week, Ruth and Naomi are in the early morning hours, and they're waiting, which Advent's all about waiting, right? So we're waiting and Ruth and, and Naomi, the, it's pout of their hands, right? Um, and Naomi's given, given Ruth the assurance, hey, you know, Boaz is going to, he's going to, he's not going to rest until this is sorted out. Um, I'm gonna, he's going to sort this out. And so we come into this, uh, this love story again, um, where Boaz is doing what he needs to do um, to follow through on his promise to marry, to marry Ruth. Um, so there's, and there's kind of two stories that we're going to go through tonight um, that, that run parallel to each other. 
One is the love story, right? A story of a lover doing everything for his beloved. Um, their wedding and the heavily, happily ever after. It's a really doe-eyed ram- romance for these warm winter months. And then there's kind of intricate cultural moment we're looking at with its foreign rituals and meanings that are very strange and seem almost uncomfortable to from where we are uh, right now. Um, so for me, ever the romantic, um, I really like that second anthropological one. Um, it takes me straight back to my undergraduate degree in anthropology, um, piecing together Mayan rituals and Pacific cargo cults and the culture of Wall Street banks. Um, but perhaps it was that I loved those classes so much because I shared so many with the girl that I was falling in love with. <laughs> so tonight, we're going to try to read um, both of these stories together to find that um, energy and romance inside this deeply cultural and foreign moment to us. And to see what God is doing um, through it all. To look back and where, we are, where we've come in Ruth, Ruth is very much about God working out his plan through the seemingly small actions of everyday life. In chapter one, we saw Ruth making this ridiculous choice to leave her country, leave her, leave her family, and to stick with Naomi and to choose Naomi's God. Um, in chapter two, uh, we, Eddie was, was showing us the that as it happened, right, how God works in those circumstances of life, that Ruth happened to find her way into the field of Boaz, who was a man of character and was also um, a relative, uh, which will be really important for tonight's story. In chapter two, I mean, in chapter three, um, Isaac talked to us last week about how um, Ruth kind of had this bold and risky faith that she put it all in the line um, when she went and asked Boaz to marry her. Thankfully, he said yes, and tonight's about that. Um, And similar to the prior weeks, today we're going to see how how God's working through the careful action of his saints and the storytelling of his community and the redemption of history. So we're nearing the conclusion. Boaz is smitten with Ruth. He's taken with her. And Naomi is right that um, he is straight on it after he promises to marry Ruth. Um. The passage begins with this meanwhile, right? So meanwhile, we, we roll back to chapter three, verse 18. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So meanwhile, Boaz gets up and he goes to the town gate. And immediately we're in this cultural moment. And it's important to, to take a moment here to realize that in some ways, Tonight's, tonight's reading is a kind of a disappointment from a 21st century reading of, uh, of, the, of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is about this woman, Ruth, whose um, bold faith has led her on this journey to take care of her mother-in-law, um, has um, her, her you know, upright actions have caught the attention of this man, and um, he's, he's agreed to marry her, and it's about her kind of stepping out in faith. And tonight... The, the big conclusion, um, it's a bunch of men with no Ruth present deciding the future of Ruth and Naomi. Um, there's no women actors in this uh, section of the story. And so from our perspective, that feels kind of disappointing. It feels a bit uh, regressive. Um, 
And it's important uh, to realize that we are dealing with a very foreign culture here, right? Um, that women didn't have the right to property, they didn't have the right to um, inheritance. And, and so, in many ways, Ruth was a very vulnerable person, and Naomi were very vulnerable people um, coming into this, uh, this whole um, situation, right? Coming back to Israel for Naomi and Ruth um, after their husbands and, and had died in Moab, <clears throat> was difficult. And Ruth, again, she was extra vulnerable because she was a foreigner as well. She was a Moabite. She wasn't part of the people of Israel. Now, thankfully, there were some good laws that God had established um, back in the Mosaic law. Um, in Leviticus 25, there's a practice of a nearby relative purchasing land um, from the, uh, the widowed uh, lady so that she can have some, some kind of inheritance. She can have something to live on. There's a provision for her. Um, and there's an older, older tradition um, that, uh, that even predates the Mosaic law, which is this where when a man dies, a, a near relative, usually a brother, will then marry his wife so that he can have a, a child with that woman, uh, which will then preserve his brother's name. So his brother will have heirs, um, if, if he doesn't already. And, but also, then that woman is welcomed into a, into a household. She's not just left to beg and to... Uh, and so, so there are some good laws in place that God put in place to preserve those who were on the margins, like Naomi and Ruth. But they're still at risk. These are at-risk people. <clears throat> and so, what does Boaz have to do? There's a story lurking in, in, the, uh, in the understanding that there was this other relative. So again, we're kind of getting into some of the cultural details, but this is really important for understanding that what, what Boaz is trying to accomplish here tonight. It was the nearest relative that had the, the duty to, um, to inherit this property, to pay off Naomi and, um, and this deeper tradition of, of marrying Ruth, Right? And Boaz wasn't the nearest relative. And this unnamed other relative that he, you know, intro, you know kind of sneaks into a courtroom at the city gate, uh, he, hadn't, he hadn't followed through on this, right? He hadn't stepped up and said, I'm going to pay off Naomi, I'm going to buy her land, I'm going to marry Ruth. Um, and it, it shows the, the kind of the risks that even though there were good laws, there was this tradition that should have protected Naomi and protected Ruth the bold actions and the, the concerns you see lurking behind Ruth and Naomi's actions in the first three chapters show that they weren't being taken care of, right? These laws weren't being enforced. That um, even, even though there was a path to wholeness, uh, it wasn't being followed. And we see that a lot in, in our world. A lot of the big scandals or the big, you know, you know investigative journalism reveals happen because good laws aren't being enforced, people aren't following through, that there aren't people in those positions of power and influence that are taking it on themselves to make sure that the right thing happens for those at risk. And so this story is that that's kind of lurking behind the story of Ruth, that we have vulnerable people that um, aren't being, uh, that aren't the center of attention for this community. And so what does Boaz do? Well, there's more, there's more uh, cultural pieces here. So Boaz goes straight to the city gate. Now, why the city gate? Well, 
um, in this time, if uh, there wasn't kind of a, a king, there wasn't an official court, but the kind of older men in the society um, who would help to kind of adjudicate property disputes and adjudicate dis um, decisions, they would frequently hang out at the city gate. This was a place of commerce, they would be making deals, um, and they would be kind of sorting out um, the business of the community. And so he goes to the city gate, and as it happens, this, this relative comes along. And so he says, and so it's not just random that at the city gate, he's got the man he needs to sort out this business with, and all the elders of the city. This is kind of, you know, a, a relatively expected situation. It wasn't kind of stumbling into a full courtroom with a, with a jury intact. And so to, to now we have kind of two stories here, right? We have the story of a vulnerable person who's not being taken care of, but we also have this love story, right? Boaz loves Ruth and he wants to marry her. He wants to do right by her. And, uh, and so what, he, what does he do? Well, his response isn't um, in the middle of the night to give in to his passion and, uh, and commence, you know, uh, you know to uh, have that Hollywood, you know, love scene. Um, but it's actually, he, he says, hey, let, let me sort this out. Let me do the right thing. Let me go to the city gate and sort this out. And so for, the first thing he does is he makes it public. He, makes it this, he goes into this legal setting with all of the elders of the city, sits everybody down, and, and then he, he crafts his negotiation very carefully. He doesn't just say, hey, uh, I want this, this right that you have, relative. I want to you know, acquire this property that you have the right to acquire. Um, and I want to marry this woman that, that you have the, the right to, woman, to, to marry. He doesn't do that. He, he, he sets it up in a way that this kinsman is, is kind of forced to make these concessions. First, he puts it out saying, hey, Naomi's selling this land. Um, you haven't followed through on this. He's making it very public. Hey, you haven't followed through on this, but you can actually capitalize on this. You can acquire this land from Naomi. And the kinsman says, hey, this is land. Naomi's an old lady. I can acquire this. And it, it will just kind of ultimately enrich me since she doesn't have any heirs who will inherit this down the road. So he, he's kind of committed himself saying, I'm interested in the property. And then Boaz says, oh, by the way, Ruth the Moabite, remember this foreign woman um, who's, who's part of our community, um, if you're going to say that you're the closest relative who has the right to this, you also should follow through on this other tradition where you actually take care of this woman and provide an heir for her dead husband. Um, and so suddenly he's, he's now on the back foot because he hasn't followed through on this already. And maybe he has other, he has kind of reservations about Ruth. Maybe um, he suspects that she's cursed or being a foreign woman, she wouldn't fit into the community, that she wouldn't be welcomed. Um, but whatever the reason is, um, and he, he cites the reason as, actually, that would endanger my own inheritance because if he then produces an heir for Ruth, when that child wakes, grows up, that child would re-inherit that land. So this man wouldn't have that land, you know, as his own. And, uh, and so, so he's kind of in it for the money, essentially. And, and so he says, well, I'm not really here for kind of actually providing an heir and providing a, a permanent place for these women in my household. And so Boaz has done something really clever here, right? He's set this man up to, um, you know, to kind of get his intent. 
and then he's, and then he's uh, shown him the full picture of, of what this negotiation's about. And the kinsman gives in and, and Boaz and hands off his right through this exchange of the sandal. And so Boaz has done a great thing, right? He's used his creativity, his knowledge of the situation and the specific relationships, and he's used all of that not to enrich himself. He's used that not to uh, kind of, you know, accomplish his own ends or win a big deal for his client. Um, But what he's done is he's done it for love, but he's also done it to take care of somebody that's vulnerable. And in our lives, um, that's the challenge for us tonight. You may be somebody who's in love and uh, you're infatuated with somebody and you want to, uh, you know, you want to do right by that, that person. And the challenge for you then is make sure that you're actually putting that person's interests first, that you're not taking advantage of that person um, or doing something for what you feel is love um, and not really putting that person's needs first. But then also, if you're working with vulnerable people, um, people on the margins of our society, um, make sure that you're using all of your uh, care, all of your thought, all of the abilities and, in, and uh, privileges that God's given you to make sure that they're taken care of, that everything is, um, is sorted out for them. That's where we see God's hand in Boaz's actions. That God was using his, his love for Ruth, but also his creativity, his influence, um, to make sure that people in the margin society were fully included. And the response of this community is something that's really, really beautiful. That um, the elders respond, we're all witnesses to this, we see what's happening. And they don't just say, congratulations, and coo over their engagement photos and say, oh, aren't you a lovely couple? I'm sure there was some of that, right? Um, But they start, they say, um, they start by blessing them, which is a nice thing to do, to say, hey, the Lord bless you. Um, may, may he, this, this woman, this foreign woman, may she come in and, and build up this household just as much as Rachel and Leah um, built up the family of Israel. So Rachel and Leah were the two wives of, uh, Ju- or of Jacob, who became Israel. Um, and so the 12 tribes of Judah um, came from uh, Rachel and Leah, or most of them did, it's, it's a complicated story. Um, but what they do is then they connect this, hey, this, Rachel, this, this Ruth story, we see that this actually connects to what God's done in the past. That it's a, that's a community that is deeply embedded in how God's been working. And they see, hey, actually, this is really familiar territory for God. He's taking a, a foreign woman and integrating her into our community and, and building up uh, the, the community of God. And, and that's the kind of church that we should be, a church that helps us connect our individual stories, the mundane details of our lives, to the larger story and the stories that, of God's work through his people throughout the world. We're often and inevitably wrapped up in the details of our own lives, as I'm sure Ruth and Boaz were, right? I'm sure the, the history of the people, which we'll get into in a moment, 
um, was very far from the, the mind of Ruth and Boaz. They were in, just in love with each other and, uh, and wanted to uh, get married. But we, and so we need our brothers in Christ and our, our sisters in Christ to help us see where Jesus is working in our lives and how that connects to his plan to redeem and restore this world. And that point um, about how God wants to redeem uh, all people is really relevant. All throughout Ruth, she is known as the Moabite. She's this foreign woman who, and, and it's kind of never far from her that, hey, she's married into the people of Israel, which was not really smiled upon in, in uh, the Israelite community. But here, these well-wishers are, are doing something um, which on first reading is, is kind of uncomfortable. Um, they connect the story of Ruth and Boaz, not just to Leah and Rachel and saying, hey, go have another 12 tribes of Israel. But they connect it in this final verse to the story of uh, Judah and Tamar. And there are lots of parallels. It's, it's easy for them to make this connection. One, um, this town, Bethlehem, um, all, everybody there is descended from Judah. So he's, he's the forebear. So this isn't kind of hidden history for them. This is their, their ancestor. Um, Tamar was a Canaanite, so she wasn't one of the people of Israel. But Judah had married her to one of his sons. Um, and her husband had died, just like Ruth. And so there was this, you know, this expectation that um, she would be married on to, to one of Judah's other sons so that she could have a place and that she could produce an heir for her first husband. Now, there are a lot of parallels, um, but the story is rather sordid. I won't go into too many details, given the age of my children in the room. Um, but if you want to read about it in Genesis 38, you, it doesn't seem like a really great story for the people of Israel, and certainly not for their forebear Judah. He doesn't do right. He doesn't do what Boaz is doing here. He doesn't do the right thing uh, by Tamar. And obviously, uh, as we see in verse 12, um, Perez was the son of Tamar and Judah. So some things happened that we would not think would be a good part of the story. It might be a part of our history that we want to hide and say, well, let's, let's not tell that part. Let's kind of elide that out, that whole Judah and Tamar bit. But what these people are doing is something transformative. They're seeing that God worked through that story of Judah and Tamar, that God integrated her into the family line. And actually, she was the, the um, great, 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 however many, uh, grandmother of Boaz. She was his, um, his ancestor. That, and they say, hey, actually, God did this before. Even though that was a broken situation, God redeemed it. He brought, those he brought those people together. He produced an heir. He integrated her back into our community. And, um, and we can see that God's doing that again. He's taking this really broken situation. Ruth starts very hard. A bunch of uh, men die and put a lot of limit women at risk without, without heirs. And, um, and Ruth comes back to her homeland saying, hey, my new name is Bitter. And the community's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's doing the same thing again. He's redeeming history. And so this story of Ruth, we see not only is Ruth uh, redeemed and, and restored, but also Tamar's restored. She's re-restored 
by the, the, the community telling that story and saying, hey, God worked through that. I've never thought of Judah and Tamar as a story with a happy ending. But Ruth's community helped us see that. God has included both Ruth and Tamar in the line of David and the line of Jesus. And in Matthew, that's underscored, and I'm sure uh, Eleanor will talk about this in a couple weeks, when in Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus makes special notes. It's you know, mostly the male heirs, as they would you know, track lineage through that. But there are special notes saying, oh, by the way, the, the, the mother of this child was Judah. I mean, was, was Ruth. The mother of this child was Tamar. There's a temptation to edit our stories, to clean them up, um, and to minimize the, the dark parts. We'll probably never preach a sermon here in full detail on Judah and Tamar. I've certainly never heard anybody preach one, um, here or anywhere else. But God doesn't erase history. He redeems it. No matter where God's brought you in your life, no matter how dark it's been, God wants to redeem those stories. Maybe those hard details are what need to be told. And God's love story is for you, for me, for his people, that while we were at risk, while we were still sinners, while we were as far off as a Moabite from Israel, that's when Jesus reached out. In Romans 5, we've been reading through Romans with our, our legacy Wednesday night uh, home group. And, uh, and in Romans 5, uh, one of the questions we've been wrestling with is, well, why, why then? Why did Jesus come then? But Paul kind of skirts around that question when he says in Romans 5 that at just the right time, Jesus while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He labored, he, he used his, his creativity, he used everything he needed to use, his loving, healing, and teaching, and his death and resurrection. He gave us up his life so we could get to know our God in a completely new and intimate way. So we could join him in telling those stories and in restoring this world. And if you're here tonight and you're far off and you don't believe, that's where Jesus wants to meet you. We, the St. Sean's community, want to help you on that journey. If you feel God nudging you, please come to speak to me or Marcus or um, Eddie, the vicars in the back. Um, and we wanna, we wanna help you tell those stories and, um, and listen to where God is working, right? Where God is nudging you in your life. So the challenge for us tonight, one, whether you're in love or you're working with vulnerable people, use all of your creativity, use all of your abilities, use all of your privileges to make sure you're doing right by those people, that their needs are put first. Secondly, let's be a people that are telling stories that are helping redeem the stories in our own lives and the stories in our community for God's glory. And third, remember that that's part of God's big story 
of calling each one of us into a relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that um, you give us the privilege of waiting on you um, and that you will not rest until uh, you have reached us, God. Lord, as we look forward to um, celebrating your coming and look forward to your coming again, God, we pray that, uh, that you would continue to speak to us, that you would continue to move in our hearts and continue to tell us the story of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.